The Toys of Peace and Other Papers by Saki. Read by Richard Crowest. The Sheep. The enemy had declared no trumps. Rupert played out his ace and king of clubs and cleared the adversary of that suit. Then the sheep, whom the fates had inflicted on him for a partner, took the third round with the queen of clubs, and, having no other club to lead back, opened another suit. The enemy won the remainder of the tricks and the rubber. "'I had four more clubs to play. We only wanted the odd trick to win the rubber,' said Rupert. "'But I hadn't another club to lead you,' exclaimed the sheep, with his ready, defensive smile. "'It didn't occur to you to throw your queen away on my king and leave me with the command of the suit?' said Rupert, with polite bitterness. "'I suppose I ought to have. I wasn't certain what to do. I'm awfully sorry,' said the sheep. Being awfully and uselessly sorry formed a large part of his occupation in life. If a similar situation had arisen in a subsequent hand, he would have blundered just as certainly, and he would have been just as irritatingly apologetic. Rupert stared gloomily across at him as he sat, smiling and fumbling with his cards. Many men who have good brains for business do not possess the rudiments of a card brain, and Rupert would not have judged and condemned his prospective brother-in-law on the evidence of his bridge play alone. The tragic part of it was that he smiled and fumbled through life just as fatuously and apologetically as he did at the card table and behind the defensive smile and the well-worn expressions of regret there shone a scarcely believable but quite obvious self-satisfaction. Every sheep of the pasture probably imagines that in an emergency it could become terrible as an army with banners. One has only to watch how they stamp their feet and stiffen their necks when a minor object of suspicion comes into view and behaves meekly and probably the majority of human sheep see themselves in imagination taking great parts in the world's more impressive dramas, forming swift, unerring decisions in moments of crisis, cowing mutinies, allaying panics, brave, strong, simple, but, in spite of their natural modesty, always slightly spectacular. "'Why, in the name of all that is unnecessary and perverse, "'should Kathleen choose this man for her future husband?' "'was the question that Rupert asked himself ruefully. "'There was young Malcolm Athling, "'as nice-looking, decent, level-headed a fellow "'as anyone could wish to meet, "'obviously her very devoted admirer, "'and yet she must throw herself away "'on this pale-eyed, weak-mouthed embodiment "'of self-approving ineptitude.' If it had been merely Kathleen's own affair, Rupert would have shrugged his shoulders and philosophically hoped that she might make the best of an undeniably bad bargain. But Rupert had no heir. His own boy lay underground somewhere on the Indian frontier, in goodly company. And the property would pass in due course to Kathleen and Kathleen's husband. The sheep would live there in the beloved old home, rearing up other little sheep— fatuous, rabbit-faced, and self-satisfied like himself, to dwell in the land and possess it. It was not a soothing prospect. Towards dusk, on the afternoon following the bridge experience, Rupert and the sheep made their way homeward after a day's mixed shooting. The sheep's cartridge bag was nearly empty, but his game bag showed no signs of overcrowding. 
The birds he had shot at had seemed for the most part as impervious to death or damage as the hero of a melodrama, and for each failure to drop his bird he had some explanation or apology ready on his lips. Now he was striding along in front of his host, chatting happily over his shoulder, but obviously on the lookout for some belated rabbit or wood-pigeon that might haply be secured as an eleventh-hour addition to his bag. As they passed the edge of a small copse, a large bird rose from the ground and flew slowly towards the trees, offering an easy shot to the oncoming sportsman. The sheep banged forth with both barrels and gave an exultant cry. "'Hooray! I've shot a thundering big hawk!' To be exact, you've shot a honey buzzard. That is the hen bird of one of the few pairs of honey buzzards breeding in the United Kingdom. We've kept them under the strictest preservation for the last four years. Every gamekeeper and village gun loafer for twenty miles round has been warned and bribed and threatened to respect their sanctity, and egg-snatching agents have been carefully guarded against during the breeding season. Hundreds of lovers of rare birds have delighted in seeing their snapshotted portraits in country life, and now you've reduced the hen-bird to a lump of broken feathers. Rupert spoke quietly and evenly, but for a moment or two a gleam of positive hatred shone in his eyes. "'I say, I'm so sorry,' said the sheep with his apologetic smile. "'Of course I remember hearing about the buzzards, but somehow I didn't connect this bird with them, and it was such an easy shot.' "'Yes,' said Rupert. "'That was the trouble.' Kathleen found him in the gun-room, smoothing out the feathers of the dead bird. She had already been told of the catastrophe. "'What a horrid misfortune,' she said sympathetically. "'It was my dear Robbie who first discovered them the last time he was home on leave. Don't you remember how excited he was about them? "'Let's go and have some tea.' Both bridge and shooting were given a rest for the next two or three weeks. Death, who enters into no compacts with party whips, had forced a parliamentary vacancy on the neighbourhood at the least convenient season, and the local partisans on either side found themselves immersed in the discomforts of a mid-winter election. Rupert took his politics seriously and keenly. He belonged to that type of strangely but rather happily constituted individuals which these islands seem to produce in a fair plenty, men and women who for no personal profit or gain go forth from their comfortable firesides or club card-rooms to hunt to and fro in the mud and rain and wind for the capture or tracking of a stray vote here and there on their party's behalf, not because they think they ought to, but because they want to and his energies were welcome enough on this occasion, for the seat was a closely disputed possession, and its loss or retention would count for much in the present position of the parliamentary game. With Kathleen to help him, he had worked his corner of the constituency with tireless, well-directed zeal, taking his share of the dull, routine work as well as of the livelier episodes. The talking part of the campaign wound up on the eve of the poll with a meeting in a centre where more undecided votes were supposed to be concentrated than anywhere else in the division. A good final meeting here would mean everything. And the speakers, local and imported, left nothing undone to improve the occasion. 
Rupert was down for the unimportant task of moving the complimentary vote to the chairman, which should close the proceedings. "'I'm so hoarse,' he protested when the moment arrived. "'I don't believe I can make my voice heard beyond the platform.' "'Let me do it,' said the sheep. "'I'm rather good at that sort of thing.' The chairman was popular with all parties, and the sheep's opening words of complimentary recognition received a round of applause. The orator smiled expansively on his listeners, and seized the opportunity to add a few words of political wisdom on his own account. People looked at the clock, or began to grope for umbrellas and discarded neck-wraps. Then, in the midst of a string of meaningless platitudes, the sheep delivered himself of one of those blundering remarks which travel from one end of a constituency to the other in half an hour, and are seized on by the other side as being more potent on their behalf than a ton of election literature. There was a general shuffling and muttering across the length and breadth of the hall, and a few hisses made themselves heard. The sheep tried to whittle down his remark— and the chairman unhesitatingly threw him over in his speech of thanks. But the damage was done. "'I'm afraid I lost touch with the audience, rather, over that remark,' said the sheep afterwards, with his apologetic smile abnormally developed. "'You lost us the election,' said the chairman. And he proved a true prophet. A month or so of winter sport seemed a desirable pick-me-up after the strenuous work and crowning discomfiture of the election. Rupert and Kathleen hied them away to a small alpine resort that was just coming into prominence, and thither the sheep followed them in due course in his role of husband-elect. The wedding had been fixed for the end of March. It was a winter of early and unseasonable thaws, and the far end of the local lake, at a spot where swift currents flowed into it, was decorated with notices, written in three languages, warning skaters not to venture over certain unsafe patches. The folly of approaching too near these danger spots seemed to have a natural fascination for the sheep. "'I don't see what possible danger there can be,' he protested with his inevitable smile when Rupert beckoned him away from the prescribed area. The milk that I put out on my windowsill last night was frozen an inch deep. It hadn't got a strong current flowing through it, said Rupert. In any case, there is not much sense in hovering round a doubtful piece of ice when there are acres of good ice to skate over. The secretary of the ice committee has warned you once already. A few minutes later, Rupert heard a loud squeal of fear and saw a dark spot blotting the smoothness of the lake's frozen surface. The sheep was struggling helplessly in an ice hole of his own making. Rupert gave one loud curse and then dashed full tilt for the shore. Outside a low stable building on the lake's edge, he remembered having seen a ladder. If he could slide it across the ice hole before the sheep went under, the rescue would be comparatively simple work. Other skaters were dashing up from a distance, and with the ladder's help they could get him out of his death-trap without having to trust themselves on the margin of rotten ice. Rupert sprang onto the surface of lumpy frozen snow and staggered to where the ladder lay. He had already lifted it when the rattle of a chain and a furious outburst of growls burst on his hearing, and he was dashed to the ground by a mass of white and tawny fur. 
a sturdy young yard dog, frantic with the pleasure of performing his first piece of active guardian service, was ramping and snarling over him, rendering the task of regaining his feet or securing the ladder a matter of considerable difficulty. When he had at last succeeded in both efforts, he was just by a hair's breadth too late to be of any use. The sheep had definitely disappeared under the ice rift. Kathleen Athling and her husband stay the greater part of the year with Rupert, and a small Robbie stands in some danger of being idolised by a devoted uncle. But for twelve months of the year, Rupert's most inseparable and valued companion is a sturdy, tawny and white yard dog. Music